I was very young when I started and I just went to research about different angles to study about out-of-body experience. I wouldn't even call that. I would say experience that would evidence that we exist beyond the physical body. And I came to find different groups, different organizations. None of them suit me much because there were some explanations that to me didn't make sense. It's just, you know, based on a cosmic ray that comes and you are special and you yeah. are something that is more evolved and mysterious. And I wanted more objective explanation. And so for me now, even though we study more in a scientific area to understand all of this, I, I think it makes much more sense because we can state what we know and what we don't know, what we need more research about and what is already well established. So I think that is a line that we have to establish in this field. Yes, it's mixing together the objectivity and the subjectivity, isn't it? Yes, um, yes. Because as we say, a lot of people will um, dismiss this phenomena or these phenomena because they don't adhere to the standard scientific um, approach of, of replicability, peer review, and future testable predictions. So they're dismissed as pseudoscience. Yes. Um, so Which shows they don't understand what we are talking about. Right. That is the problem, yes. And maybe that's one of the nice things for us to address, because people who want to study the phenomena, they must understand the phenomena. They cannot study without understanding. And vice versa, those who have the phenomena, just experience it, they must understand the, the theories and the knowledge already amassed behind it to make sense of what they experience. And that is what would be perfect if we could put together. Yes. And I think that's beginning to happen very slowly as it's becoming more wide, widely known amongst the, the population. I agree with mm. you. Yeah. So did, did this research for you all begin with your own experience or from hearing of others' experiences? It began, I think, from my own experiences and interest, but I, I don't remember a moment in my life when I was not interested about what is it that we are doing here. And I think for most people, it's just about what is going to be my career and how am I going to make money. Yes, yeah. And for me, it was what is it that I take with me from this life? How do I grow within and this is what I have been pursuing since ever. So who are we actually? How do we grow within? Because I really feel inside of myself that what is ours, what we have learned, nobody can take from us, but everything else can be taken from us. And so I, I thought when I was a child that I would find it in psychology. So I pursued for a moment to study psychology, which I ended up studying like a master in psychology and understanding better. But at a certain point, I understood that psychology was not what I was looking for. I was looking for something more ample. And I started then studying consciousness. And what's the nature of consciousness? We talk so much about consciousness being what identify ourselves. And we can feel the sense of being alive and seeing the world nobody really can explain what consciousness is and from everything that i have experienced and what makes sense also it's not only my experience i think it makes sense i think i think it explains well the world um we have to be something beyond the brain how can we be just a result of cells 
and what is in our neurons. It makes so much more sense that we exist beyond the brain. So I, I think that it that fits perfectly. Hmm. Many would dispute that and say that um, observationally we can see that um, the consciousness is just a product of interactions between neurons and electrochemical interactions. Um, although we don't certainly know how exactly those interactions produce consciousness, we can see evidentially that, that the consciousness is in the brain. How would you respond to that? I would say that this is just a way of explaining superficially because nobody can prove that consciousness, awareness, a sense of self is in the brain. So, okay, if everything comes to a point in which we cannot prove this one, I think we have more evidences of the other side because we do have many cases of near-death experiences, some of them that we cannot just dismiss, some of them in which brings very strong evidences of people being able to be conscious and manifest and perceive information much beyond the brain. We also have, and many people don't know, very serious studies on past life yes. um, experiences. And most people think, ah, this is just a fantasy. I agree. For many people who say about this, this is just a fantasy because people just, you know, choose to believe they were Cleopatra or Mark <laughs> Antony or yeah, something like yeah. that. It's always Cleopatra, but, isn't it? Yes, it's always. So it has to be something fancy. Nobody was, a, you know, a John Doe something. No. But uh, in a way, the studies that already exist, that are serious studies, they bring information that we cannot just discard. Also, the huge number of people describing experiences beyond the physical body, in which I include myself, I have had a experience since very early age i did not know about the phenomena i did not pursue it i had information that was confirmed but also in my career in a way in what i do talking to so many people i have people that come to me that they never studied about the phenomena but they have had experience since very early age but my point and what for me, keeps making me interested in studying more and more about this, is that the description that these people bring about how they sense living the body, what they see outside the body, um, what happens to them, how they bring the recollection, how it affects them in everyday life, and all of this. It's so consistent among all of those people of different nations, different cultures, that they different social levels, different educational levels. So we cannot just say this is an imagination, this is a dream. There's got to be something else there. From my personal experiences, uh, experience, I have had situations in which I witnessed things outside the body that I could not know. One of them that I tell in my TEDx talk, because it was very impactful for me, it was one of the things that when I started researching about out-of-body experience, came to my mind and I said, yeah, we cannot continue just denying that there is something there because my experience points to it. And so many experiences of so many other people related throughout history. I don't know, Darren, if you ever heard about a researcher called Robert Kruko. Robert Kuchel was an Englishman. He's not very known in the area. Most people talk more about those who teach 
you know, uh, techniques and tell about mm. their stories. Robert Krukow was not someone who had a lot of experience, but he was unbiased enough and serious enough to think, hmm, I'm going to study about this phenomenon that people talk about. And he was capable of start listening to so many people, compiling stories. And most of his books is based on accounts of people who never met each other, people who never studied. And he himself doesn't seem to have had experiences. He starts from a point of just curious about what is it that people talk about. And his books are one of the big assets we have to compare different out-of-body experience and see what are the common points and start understanding what is beyond life. We cannot deny, can I make another yeah, point keep, here? Yeah, keep there? going. Yes, <laughs> thank you. We cannot deny that in our culture, we always had somehow the knowledge that something else exists, but humankind tried to explain it through different means and not being educated enough to understand what I call multidimensional science, because it's not a science of the physical world only. It's a science that involves also non-physical levels of reality that different phenomena point to that. So when we have people experiencing things and trying to explain, and they do not have enough experience and knowledge to understand this, they start explaining in ways that, you know, would make sense to them in the yeah. same way that long ago or primitive people would explain thunder as, you know, punishment from God. And now so many people explain their experience as, you know, uh, God's intervening, intervening with them or or, you know, Satan around, or they haven't had a vision of the future because it's a mystical religious experience. Yeah. And I think if we grow more and more in understanding all of these phenomena, we will see that there are common points and we will start understanding what's in there. So instead of believing that God is sending thunder to us, we will start mastering electricity. Mm. And the equivalent to that, in my analogy, is that instead of just thinking something happened to me because it was a coincidence or I was blissed enough, we'll be able to think something happened to me for a reason, because there are elements of my own manifestation that I still do not understand, and they are beyond the brain. There is one thing, the last one I'm going to comment, and I will <laughs> let you continue there. But you know that in some cases of um, severe Alzheimer's, and there are some very, very interesting, good scientists researching that. But in this, this field of Alzheimer's, there is one phenomenon that sometimes happens in which at the latest days of somebody's life, when they have been for a long period of time with no awareness whatsoever, not recognizing anybody, not being able to talk, all of a sudden they come back or they wake up one morning and they recognize people and they tell stories and they tell who is with them and what they were doing and all of a sudden they die. I mean, 
moments after yeah. that, hours or a few days. So how can we explain a brain that's completely, just for lack of better world, word, rotten in a way, it's, it's non-existing anymore, it's all completely damaged. But the person has a lapse of lucidity of awareness that comes out of the blue. And how can we explain cases in which people are in coma and they see things, or when people are, are under anesthesia or considered dead, and they see events, they see what's going on in the other side of a hospital, and they come and they can tell. And so many cases of children who have had near-death experiences that they come and report meeting relatives that they never ever knew they had and telling details. I mean, we have to start putting all of this together, not to be believers, because I think that would be the worst that could happen. Believers, we have already so many in different areas, but to be real scientists, meaning someone who is looking for answers without jumping to conclusion, but we're not rejecting the evidences either. And that is what I think it's so catchy at this point. Yes, absolutely. And the, the people that try to explain away these phenomena can do so with one particular class of phenomena, the near-death experience, although there's no accepted way of, of debunking that experience but it's when as you say you take a collective of all the experiences together that all point to one direction um, and add together the evidence that's used to create to, to come up with the idea that the brain creates consciousness evidence which in my opinion can equally lend credence to a filter idea plus this extra phenomena I think that a filter idea is more parsimonious it is a better theory to explain um, it encompasses all the data completely and I think as you mentioned one of the most interesting and um, persuasive evidences for survival is terminal lucidity which is now called paradoxical lucidity um, and I have an interview coming up with Michael Nam, actually who's one of the leading researchers in that field and I'm looking forward to that because I, I really do find this phenomena interesting. I've spoken to several people who are sceptical about the idea and they have come up with explanations including um, levels of pH in the brain or um, perhaps if there's some sort of growth involved um, that as the brain declines and, and degrades the growth is limited and therefore normal function is, is able at the end and there are several but to me you know things like Alzheimer's which is a complete degradation of of neuronal connections the only way you can explain it is by spontaneous regrowth which in that kind of situation seems very, very unlikely. Not impossible, but very unlikely to me. Mm. Um, and as you say, taken together with all this other phenomena of veridical out-of-body perception, um, various psi experiments, which I'm on the fence about, I haven't really looked into them, reincarnation. I've spoken to several people on that. Dr. Jim Matlock, who's done an extensive research. Mm. And all these other things taken together, they do suggest that perhaps a better explanation of terminal lucidity is that it is some kind of separation from that limiting brain, which is allowing more natural, unbinded consciousness to come through. And that's my idea on it. I don't know the physiology, if there are reasonable explanations, but to me, I haven't found any. Mm -hmm. So in your experiences of um, veridical perception, where you said you've come out of your body and you've seen things you couldn't possibly have known, can you give an example of some of those experiences? Oh, yes, I, I have several experiences like that. I guess the, the strongest one, the strongest evidence is the one that I tell in my TEDx talk, because that is something that I could not even have imagined. And it happened when I was a child, because once you are an adult, we can 
we can and we have to always speculate if it could be something in our subconscious mind, something we saw in a movie. But in the case of the experience that I have had in which I was very young, I lived in a very small city. I had no access to a television or to a library. Very few books, just child's book or children's book around. And um, at that time, I had an experience in which I saw an uncle of mine in a hospital in a large city in Sao Paulo. And I lived in a very small city in a different state. And the vision that I had, seeing him, you know, in post operatory condition, um, just reco recovering in a huge hospital in a city that I have never seen in the place where I was born, in the little town I was born. We had few cars. It was at that time really small. So for me, seeing a city when I had so many huge avenues and lots of cars and huge hospital buildings that I have never seen in my life, all of that was puzzling. And I saw details of my uncle's surgery, which I could not have seen. Um, and even details such as seeing like a drain coming from his abdomen and draining some liquid to a glass jar that was on the floor. He had had a bladder surgery, which I only came to know many years later. So that experience to me always continued vivid in my mind. Because one thing there that I think it's very important to discuss and mention when we study about phenomena to prove or bring evidences to the fact that life is not only the physical world. We have to include the subjective condition, which you were saying a little bit at the beginning in our chat before, because some experiences are as vivid and as confirmed as this one I just mentioned as when I was a child. But others, they, it's like we go to realms of reality that are not so close to our moment here. Also, there are experiences in which they are more premonitory experience. It's precognition. People see things that will happen. And of course, nothing is written on stone. Mm. Things may change, but some things we have very strong evidence of happening. And sometimes in these experiences, people see that. But we also have cases of people having clairvoyance. And I, I'm sure many of those who are watching us will have similar experiences, like as a child, sensing something close by who was no one physical, and in this case, not something, but someone close mm. by who was not physical, or sometimes even seeing, or listening to somebody talking and nobody was around. And then for these children, it can be quite confusing. And at a certain point, they have to shut out of their minds all of the idea that something else continue and exist. But if we look back at all of this, it's so much better if we can educate people to learn to distinguish. And we bring all of this on board. I don't know if um, you are um, aware of this, but I am doing a research about children who has or have or have had sensitivity to this non-physical reality, subtle energy, whatever we are going to call it, because I include myself among them. And some of my experiences as a child were wonderful, mm -hmm. but some were frightening. 
I don't think they were so negative, but I did not know how to interpret yes. and what to do. And for a child not knowing what's going on when they are sensing a reality that is not absolutely physical and nobody else around is talking about it, because even if they sense, nobody talks about it. You know, it's almost like a tacit fact. Nobody mentioned it. Yeah. And then the child can be very, very confused. Mm. I think even for the sake of people growing healthy and knowing what is really happening to them and what's just their imagination and what's the reality, we have to bring more light to this topic. So how can we differentiate between what is... Um imagination and what is individually perceived reality as opposed to you know other people can't see it so how do we determine what's imagination and what is there especially in children I, especially in children i think in children it's easier actually um there because with all of the studies that i have doing one of the big challenge or the biggest challenge that i have is to create scale so how can you evaluate an experience saying that is accurate or that's not there's a certain percentage of imagination and i ended up developing some tools to try and get it and what i would say is that for children it's easier because when a child is just guessing something or trying to pretend they fall into contradiction mm. and if you pretend that you are valuing more one aspect the child will make that aspect sound bigger because they are trying to please or they are trying yes, to impress fit, yeah to impress mm. but when you are listening to someone a child or an adult who have had an experience as a child describing an experience in which is consistent especially if it's with a child and they always go back to the same point this is very unnatural to be something that has been just imagined and that's one of the things the other thing to evaluate that when it comes to examining children's sensitivity in terms of subtle energy i think is to evaluate if it is the case that the child senses that or behaves in whatever that way is as if seeing someone who is not present or or feeling or saying things that doesn't make sense to see if that happens everywhere independently of the location or of who is around or if that is location dependent because i have examined some cases in which for example a someone who now is a medical doctor is a mother of two kids it's she's probably now 35 years old so she's young very mm. well educated she had for like 15 years nightmares same nightmares when living in one house and she would never have whatever else she would be she could not sleep for 22 years with the lights off in that house whilst when she just started university she went to another place and start you know when you are in a dorm like for mm. students dorm mm. that was old strange she was alone and she had no fear whatsoever because she didn't sense around what she was sensing in her place and then after she graduated and matured and then she had her kids and she's talking more frankly and openly about that with her family and then her father tells her 
that he always had the same because the house had been with the family for long generations. And her grandfather committed suicide there because of similar things. So if it's her and her brain, how come that only happened in that environment? And if we say, okay, it was from her 10th and 20th. No, whenever she would be outside of that place, even at the same age, she would have completely different experiences. And then she talked to her sister. Her sister had exactly the same visions, exactly the same nightmare. We cannot just say this is an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we cannot state this is A or B unless we research deeply. But one of the things that I want with my study is to write a book to help parents and to help educators. Because what do you do when you have a child that is maybe too shy, that start being afraid of going out, even in the open, or being afraid of go to sleep. Many, many cases of children, they are afraid of going to sleep. Um, and I think at certain point in my life that happened just for a brief period, but it did happen for a period. So I, I don't think this is correct. And uh, we have to bring more light into that. Most people would just say, but this is schizophrenia, or this is a spoiled child just trying to call attention, or this is just imagination. Definitely, there are those cases, imagination, a psychological problem, schizophrenia, another mental problem. I'm not discarding them. I'm just saying this does not explain all of the situations. In the same way, when we come to out-of-body experiences, an experience that happened to us while our brain is apparently sleeping and that we are aware of them, I'm not saying all of them are out-of-body experiences. Many are just dream. Many are just, you know, the brain puts it together two plus two and it's four and it comes as an image. So, of course, so we have to understand and study details. Also, our subconscious mind plays a big role there. But how can we find evidences to separate what's the real experience or a real out-of-body mm. experience or a real near-death experience from other states? And there are ways of knowing. I have been working in this field now, I guess this year, it will be 30 years that I have been teaching and doing seminars and doing research. I didn't use to be so open to the public because it was more like teaching those who are interested. But from my personal experience, it's, you know, I'm not going even to say how long, probably 50 years that I have been having these experiences and puzzling myself to understand them. And I did read many books, I did went to many groups, and most of the explanations don't fit. They are just mysterious information that is like, um, you are special. And if they are going to explain or study a child that has more of these um, abilities, I would say it's it's predisposition. This is natural to all of us, but some of us are great musicians and other just can hear a a song and distinguish what type of instrument is there. Mm. The same thing. Some people are very sensitive and they can perceive this reality beyond the physical world with very fine details. 
and others not so much, but this is natural. So when it comes to us, for, for us to understand that and bring together all of those evidences, we have to have a body of information in which we can decipher, or we can at least have some clues to examine the filters of a person and how people interpret reality. Because most of the experience people report, they are there, but how they interpret the explanation they give to it, that's what is different. Yeah. And the more we understand about it, the greater service we are going to do to all of us and to understand what exists beyond this physical world. Death is here. Everybody knows they are going to die. But people live as if they were eternal. And we spend life, you know, worried about things that are common to us. And this is natural. But we know deep down that at the end, that's not what matters the most. And what is it that we are going to leave behind to our society? For how long are we going to live in era in which anyone who talks about anything that is not physical is considered stupid in a way there and i'm general yeah. yeah i'm generalizing a lot because there are great scientists and nowadays more than ever great minds and very you know known and well-respected people studying all of these but still if we think about a large area of science we have a few people understanding this and i do not think we can positively contribute with our world with humankind if we do not bring all of this to the level of a science institution or a scientific study and by science i do not mean materialistic i do not mean close-minded restrictive i mean observing things, trying to put evidence together, not jumping into conclusion, mm. not believing in any crazy thing, but putting together, if there are too many crazy things that they are similar, what is in there? Mm. And examining who people are, because by talking to someone, we can know if the person can just imagine and create a huge fantasy in their minds, or if the person is very sensible down to earth and still is describing what's going on. I mean, I live a completely normal life and I have had these experiences since ever. I try to contribute to bring a scientific light into this, not because it's a platform and, and we have to fight for this. No, just because I would love to see every human being understanding better who they are, I think that would bring very positive ethical and inner consequences for everyone. Hmm. But I'm not sure that is going to happen too soon. <laughs> so what do you think of um, many, in fact, I'd probably say the consensus of, of psychologists and people in the, in the science of psychology would say that, so, uh, for example, your example of, of the lady who had negative experiences in this particular house they would say for instance well she, um, this lady knew that her grandfather who committed suicide in this house due to similar things has picked up on that and therefore she has associated that house with negative experiences and yes. therefore her brain has created this experience and 
along with um, her passing it on to other people. So Absolutely. What do you think of that? That would be a good explanation, I think. Yes. The point is that she never knew. She only came to know after she was graduated as a medical doctor and she had a child. And then her father came to the open and spoke to her. She never knew before. Because that, that is one of the things that I examine a lot. Because we have to see what is in... What, what is the information that people know or they have heard, you know, around and they may just unconsciously bring that up. I think this is very valid point you are bringing there. And, and we have to always consider that, mm. too, in, in the cases of all of us. Whenever I have an experience, I try to think, hmm, how much I'm sure I am that that was a real experience. Um, I don't know if you hear noise. My cat is jumping around like crazy. Bless is me. that disturbing? No, Maybe that's I, fine. I, no, no, that's no. fine. Okay. <laughs> She's I, here just playing with something. Sorry for that. That's fine. Sorry, I, Darren. Please. I'm an absolute animal lover. I love animals. You know, it's, it's, it was, that's why it was so hard when we lost our little dogs. I've got a little shrine at the back there with them. So they're always oh. looking over us. So, Wonderful. <laughs> what would you think of, of those who would say, um, yes, all these experiences are very entertaining to listen to, but at the end of the day, there's just it's just anecdotes. It's just anecdotal data that mean really nothing of evidential value. It's hearsay. How do you think of that opinion? I, I respect that opinion because I think people have to go as far as in reality makes sense to them. And this is something that we always have to respect. But I think that anyone who have ever had a little bit more sensitivity to the non-physical world or have had any sort of experience, they would never agree to that. And the number of people who fit into this are large. The problem is that many, they resort to explanations that are just um, beliefs, religion, or something yeah. that satisfies them and makes them feel comfortable. Many are very, very afraid of this reality because the way we are brought up and the way Hollywood moves somehow shape our minds, we tend to feel that if there is something out there, well, it's a ghost and it's going yeah, to threaten yeah, me, right? Yeah. And then there has to come an exorcist and then there is going to be a poltergeist and then it's evil. Mm. And we are somehow taught to behave in this way and whenever people have any any perception the first thing that they do i'm not going to say oh i know many that never did but for most people the first thing they do is to feel something is wrong now what did i do and then they're going to pray i'm not uh, judging any of that what i'm saying is what is the level of lack of information that we have so i totally respect because i think many people never had an experience to point them to the fact to point to them the fact that we have a reality that is beyond just this physical world and this physical body this physical life but others they dispute a lot out of fear and they will never admit i have many cases of people who are colleagues researchers or people who teach with me at the international academy of consciousness and we try to do a very serious work in clarifying about all of that but i have many examples of people who had family members who have had lots of experiences all all different types 
sensing a non-physical presences like someone without physical body, um, having intuitions, premonitions, having ideas that comes to their mind, out-of-body experiences, seeing things, sensing different ways, and they do not want even to hear about that, even though their own brother, mm -hmm. sister, mm -hmm. father, daughter are here teaching about that because they were scared. Many people had been very scared throughout their early experiences for not having information. And many people start sensing this non-physical reality in environments like the, the lady I told you about, yeah. one of those that I have uh, interviewed and researched about. Like she was in a house that the energy, the environment, the climate and the non-physical reality there was not so positive. So for someone in that way who never goes beyond into understand their experience, they may grow with that sense. Whatever is there is horrible. Mm. When we know that when someone have like a near death experience, a positive one, very clear one, or when someone has a very positive, lucid out of body experience, they completely lose fear of death. They completely change their views of life because the quality of the experience is different. And what I'm trying to say behind it is that someone who never had the experience, they will never agree. You can tell them anything and they will find an explanation. This is your subconscious mind. This is just because you heard that somewhere and you don't remember. This is just a dream. But whoever had the experience, that experience is completely, absolutely, utterly different than any sort of dream. It cannot yeah. be confused. But only the only ones who knows that are those who have had the experience. That's why I think anyone who wants to research about this phenomenon, they must have had truthful experiences, real ones, strong ones, because they will be able to understand what's false or truth, what is just an imagination of the brain, which does happen, and what is a fact, a perception that is coming from senses that are beyond the physical senses. Mm. If someone tries to understand, to study this, but they comes with a bias in their vision, and they are already knowing that whoever says this, they do not know much about how the brain works, then the person is not going to do a good job. That's why I admire Robert Krukel that I have mentioned earlier here in our talk, because Robert Krukel, he you know, didn't have experience, but he was unbiased and he contributed tremendously. So anyone who is unbiased, is going to do that is going to see that i have done some interviews myself with some people that i admire and i had the opportunity to meet um peter fenwick who studies about the near-death experience he is one of the one of the pioneers on that but i also interviewed jim tucker who studies about um reincarnation past life recall yes mm -hmm. children's experience with past life recall i think it deserves for those who are watching us here or listening to us it deserves to you know take a look at his research Definitely. to see and, more of that evidence and indeed all the research done by the uh, university of virginia's division of perceptual studies is yes. a great um, resource it is yes and and you know some of the studies of dr yanni steves you cannot just say yeah this is somebody's imagination you 
not say that and at least we have to come with a better explanation and nowadays i do not know if you are familiar with this name federico fagin federico fagin is the man who invented the microprocessor so in other words the fact that all of us we can have mini computers even in our blenders right yeah. in our car yeah. or we can have a touch phone or anything like that it comes from his work and he has been in the field of hard science for so long but he had an out-of-body experience and that out-of-body experience changed his view of the world nowadays he's over 70 and he's dedicating to try and create a bridge between the academic mainstream science and an understanding that there are things that are beyond physical but they are real and yeah. they are part of physics even if it's not physical in the yeah. sense of material yeah. and how can we bridge that and um, i'm mentioning this because um, there's coming a book of this gentleman federico fagin and I have also interviewed him. He's, he's a friend and I admire a lot. But I, I bring this to show how it's not just, you know, crazy people without good information and scientific basis who will discuss about this. There are lots of people questioning and trying to understand about all of these different types of phenomena that points to the fact that life is beyond just the material world. Whatever you want to include the material, you want to include quantum, great. You want to include any other sort of reality, dark matter, whatever. Please do. But there is there are things that are beyond. Sorry, Darren. I was That's right, so no <laughs> <laughs> I was so enthusiastic that I kept going on and on. <laughs> that's perfect. That's that's what we need. So, um, why do you think if these these out of body phenomena and various other um, information reception, you know, clairvoyance and all that sort of thing, is is so prominent, um, and there are indeed people who can go out of body at will and receive veridical information, why do you think that there have been no experimentations done on that to really solidly, you know, get get somebody who can do this willfully into a lab? Have That's them give you back information. Question. Yeah, wonderful question and and wonderful point for us to bring. One which I have lots of information about, because I have dedicated a lot to try and do more research about the out of body experience. I know it's a fact, and I try to find different methods, and and that's part of what I have dedicated my life to. The problem is that when we talk about proof. Proof is as good as the person who examines the proof can understand it. And when people look at these experiments, they are expecting something as objective as would be some experiment with the material world. That whenever you put like a chemical reaction of this element and this element, it will result in that. Mm -hmm. And if it does not, you have a clear explanation. And if you adjust that, the result will come back to be the one you expected. Yes, and it will do it and every time. And we also, yes, mm. so the repetition, but also um, in science, we expect that we can know so much about the phenomenon that we'll be able to predict what's going yes. on. future detectable predictions. Mm. Exactly. But now what happens is we are talking about human beings. We are talking about whom human beings who are dealing with their education, repressions that they might have had, 
fears that they might have, limitations in how they can control the energies that connect their physical bodies to their non-physical part. We are talking about so many different variables that it's very difficult that we can reproduce and experiment with identical results. So we have had here at the International Academy of Consciousness uh, different experiments, several of them that I have devised myself, some I have devised with my partner, Wagner Legretti, who is, by the way, doing some amazing research with some evidences that are astonishing to anybody, even in the physics, because he has been shown through functional MRI, some results of our subtle energy in our bodies. And that's what we need, steps, building steps. But when it comes to putting all of these and doing these experiments, we find some evidences. We have very good experiments. But the next group you put together, next time you do it, it's not the same. No. So you would have to find an excellent projector, being able to project outside of their bodies, but with a 100% success rate. I completely um, ignore any case such as this. Everything in terms of the out-of-body experience is a matter of um, degrees of success. Some people, they try a hundred times and they will succeed one, which is not insignificant because one success can show to an individual so much about life, physical life, life beyond, life and death, and what exists beyond what we call death, that that is amazing. Mm. But for our way of recognizing what science is, we will consider that, nah, it can't be, because if it were truth, the guy would have done that, the other nine, nine, times as well. Um, and some people will have periods in their lives with a greater success rate. Um, but you can never control. And then once you are outside the body, okay, the way we did experiments, we were not trying so much. Um, there's one experiment we did that now comes to my mind that we call projective field. And it was not so much trying to prove the out-of-body out of experience. I don't think there is something feasible in the world as it is today, because the minority experience out of bad experiences. Yeah. The majority have some cultural backgrounds that prevent them to being open to the idea. Many they fear because of beliefs and the way they have been, you know, educated. So we do not expect that, but we expected to bring more information about how the out-of-body experience happens. How can we find ways to help people to experience this more lucidly? And mainly, how the brain brings the information of what has been experienced out there to this level here, not actually not the brain, the consciousness, because whatever we experience is beyond the brain. Now we want to recall, we want to have this right now in our minds. Yeah. And we distort reality. If you show the same environment to five people, they will pick different elements of that environment, talking about a physical environment. Mm. And people have perfect vision. Mm. And when it comes to experiencing the out-of-body experience and bringing the account 
and whatever they learned out there, this is more complex because we need to find ways to verify what elements of the description are stronger. We can, how can I say, rely more on that description and what doesn't make sense. Maybe the person mixed up, maybe the person doesn't remember well. Having said that, there, I just want to make a parenthesis. Dreams have no um, scientific proof. Nobody, if you tell me now that you had a dream just last night and that you were playing basketball, whatever you tell me, I have to accept. Yeah. I have no way of knowing that is true. Mm. Actually, when we think about out-of-body experiences, clairvoyance, people seeing ghosts or anything like that, we have many, many or infinite more evidence or possibilities of identifying that's true than in the case of a dream. Because people have experiences in which they, for example, foresee the future. Or they, it's not being foreseen the future. It's like they have an experience in which they see an event that's going to happen. Yeah. And that happens. Mm. Okay, so that is something. Or like I did, that I saw something as a child that I could not have seen. You cannot say that is a dream. And whenever we hear somebody telling a dream, it's just purely subjective and we believe. Now, why is it that nobody disputes the fact that dreams may not be real? Or the because everybody dreams. You dream, I dream. If not everybody, what? 94, yeah, 95% of people remember. Yeah. Yes, the vast majority. So there's no discussion. It's a, it's a common experience. And in the case of the out-of-body experience, number one, it's not as common. Number two, it can be very confusing for the person to interpret because it can be very different from the physical reality. And number three, we have a lot of cultural, religious, yes, yes. and different impediments to examining that. So there you are see complications. That well. You see that as well in the near-death experience, the way that um, Christians will see Jesus, Hindus will see their God, um, Islam, Muslims will see Muhammad. So the question is, is it completely culturally determined or is it culturally influenced? Yes, that, that's a good point. Um, I have been in some programs especially one that comes to my mind once I have been to Cyprus. Oh, and we're going there in a few months. <laughs> nice place. Oh, yes. Oh, and, and I'm terrified of flying, place. so that will be fun. <laughs> if the COVID that's situation improves. Place. <laughs> mm. Very different, culturally speaking, from yes. what we are used to, even though it's still in Europe. But when I was there, I was in an interview show that now doesn't exist anymore. They are very close to these ideas because at that time, at least, they were very cl religiously closed, very orthodox religious. Right. And um, I was in this interview, and people would phone and ask questions. And I heard people there telling me over there online so many interesting experiences, amazing experiences that would bring so much to the table for us to reinforce some of these theories that we are talking about but at the end they conclude their accounts saying and i know that was a messenger of god and right. i know god yeah, sent that to me and i know this was a gift from god and in my mind i think how can somebody 
not see what they are experiencing. Mm. <laughs> Once, I'll tell you the last story. Once I had a friend that told me that she once um, saw herself outside the body, in her bedroom. And she was so lucid, so lucid, so lucid. And she looked at her body and she started screaming, I'm dead, I'm dead, mm. outside the body, in her mm -hmm. mind. Of course, there's no screaming when we are outside the body. But her attitude was like, I'm dead, I'm dead. And then when she told me, I said, funny, right? Because if you were dead, you could not know you were dead and you could not say you were dead. Therefore, if you were thinking you were dead, you were not dead. <laughs> but, but you see the belief, the fear yeah. comes and yeah. kick in so fast that we don't think indeed that's true and indeed you know the idea of death maybe with these experiences in mind isn't exactly death as we believe it to be so um what do you think of i was recently reading actually today so it's good good time to bring it up because it's fresh um dr sean carroll who's a very talented intelligent scientist he's a theoretical physicist who claims it's very 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 unlikely almost impossible that there is any form of afterlife or life after or, uh, without physical working brain because um the he says the laws of, of everyday physics are completely understood and there's no room if there was something interacting with the physical brain because it's physical there would be some remnant um energy or something to to measure I suppose if something non-physical is interacting with physical on any level, there will be signs. And yet that's never been found. So what do you think about his opinion there? I respect a lot, deeply, but I completely disagree in many different levels. Because I think there are many experience and scientific tools, instruments trying to be discovered, established that through technology can evidence some of this non-physical reality. One of them, for example, the experiment that I mentioned that Wagner Legrette is doing, I'm very familiar with because I helped in many of his test sessions. Mm. And the evidences of that, Darren, uh, maybe one day you want to talk to him about that, but the evidences of that cannot be dismissed by science. And he has already presented that to many, many very academic um, conventional scientists, and it's mind puzzling. So I disagree that we have zero evidences of that. There are many different studies that point to the fact that something exists in all of these experiences. And even if we call it anecdotal experiences, they are facts there that also deserve to be studied. But I respect the opinion, I, I disagree. Mm -hmm. And I also know that many different areas and many different scientists are dedicating to study how we bridge the knowledge between physical and the non-physical reality. The fact is, if we think and if we agree with this reasoning of his, if there were, we would have already identified and if there were, we would have means of measuring it. That means we are not going to discover anything new. So therefore, whatever we have in our technology and knowledge right now is what it is. So I think there's little room there for changing our minds and finding mm. something new. <laughs> yes. um, so what do you, my, my channel or my investigators are mainly on the question of what happens after physical death what our experiences after physical death so from the evidence that you've seen and the experiences you've had and research what do you think i suppose is the narrative of what happens to us after physical death i can 
tell a little bit about what I have seen and I have experienced. And that is, of course, is a fragment of the reality that I have been able to witness. And I would love also to reference some of the research that has been done and some of what is the consensus, which does not mean it's rigid. We are growing, we are learning. And this is a knowledge that needs to become more well established. But according to my experience, I have seen environments I'm not so easy to tell <laughs> in words, no, in but I have seen cases, for example, in which people are between lives in a situation that they are not so well. They do not know exactly what life is. In the same way here, people are not so sure if that's only physical. If we die when our physical body dies and what we should believe, we also see people like that outside of our bodies. But it doesn't mean when we have, for example, an out-of-body experience, you immediately see people like this. No, we are, we are experiencing the world on our own. And sometimes we get to communicate with some of these consciousnesses. So I've seen some that are in, in conditions that are not so nice in terms of their lucidity. They mm -hmm. are not clear of what's going on. But I have also had opportunities of seeing people in between lives that they seemed from what I could grasp from that experience. And that is one experience, but to me was very strong and very vivid. And I tried to, to make sense to that. I've seen situations in which it seemed people were trying to get prepared and trying to understand what what is life about? Because if indeed we have one life after another, and I think that makes sense, besides my own experience, I think it makes sense to explain so many different evidences that we have. Yeah. It's a model that yeah. fits. Um, and if we go with that, in a case like this, when somebody is in between life, and if they are going to be born again, how does this happen? I do not have the answer. I have some theories of mm. mine. Um, I do not have the answer, but it seems in a way people are going to get closer to this denser dimension. And by people, I mean consciousnesses, mm. selves, whatever we call ourselves. I wouldn't say physical bodies. We are not the physical body, although we identify so much with the physical body now. But I've seen some of them getting ready to be born. And to me, I, I, this, I understood as being ready to be born. And to me, that was for me up to today, my strongest experience, the one that I value the most, was not the longest, was not the most interesting in terms of details, but mm. for me in terms of meaning, effect. Yes. yes, in terms of meaning of life was very mm. impactful, because it was almost in, the, in that moment, I could understand and participate in how puzzling it is to start inhabiting a new body mm -hmm. <laughs> in a new family, not knowing how much you will remember of what you already knew. And it's not true that we don't remember. Whoever we are is inside of us. But society somehow influence a lot what we are going to, what facet of us we are going to manifest. If we have had nice parents or parents that beat us like hell, it's going to make a difference for yeah. what side yeah. of us we are going to show in this life because we have many different aspects of our personalities. So I think that expectation of not knowing exactly how we will handle that future life that is a little of what I sensed there. 
And to me, my mind was almost as if people trying to understand what are the difficulties mm. to try to avoid some of the traps that being, I'm going to use a horrible word, but not meaning that literally. But in a way, um, what means being entrapped inside of a physical body means to a consciousness who before were free in yeah, this spiritual, non-physical mm. Exactly. So, so that for me was my most impactful. And of course, um, many studies of um, near-death experiences and deathbed phenomena bring some evidences or at least some theories about what life beyond this life is. Yes. But um, I think sometimes when we study only one type of experience, we see only one side of the reality. And when we study, I'm sorry to make that point there, when we study a near-death experience, which I study a lot, mm. but near-death experience is one type of out-of-body experience that happens under a specific circumstance that teaches us a lot, especially because the near-death experience is more, um, maybe it's a stronger evidence to science because the person was brain dead. Yes. So it brings more attention. But when we think in terms of how, what that, that represents, the phenomenon, that is much more limited than the general out-of-body experience because you can have many different types of yes. out-of-body experiences. So I like bringing the out-of-body experience on board as a tool for us to understand life and death and what means to be here. That's what I think the out-of-body experience is. And that's why we teach out-of-body experience. And that's why we try to help people to get rid of fears and beliefs. Hmm. Not because beliefs are wrong, but because let's try and see the reality as close to what it is as possible. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when I was trying to achieve out-of-body experiences, I was using Robert Monroe's Gateway Experience tapes. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to have gone out there and done the course, but A, I didn't have the money, and B, I was terrified of flying and still am, so that's not on the on the cards. Um, but I never really, really managed to get there, although I did have some strange experiences. I must try again one day and, and really look into this a bit more. Um, why do you think, um, if, if our consciousness is, is a separate entity that can function outside of the physical brain, why do you think things like... Uh, general anesthesia have effect and are able to, is able to take experience away and, and brain damage is able to change our experience and our mind. Why do you think that has an effect if our consciousness is pure and separate in a way? Pure, non-physical, pure, beyond physical. That's what you mean, right? Yes. There, I understood. Okay. Um, I think that this physical reality is an interface. And if the interface is not working properly, it's going to be so much harder for us to be able to manifest and bring any real clarity of who we are in our understanding of life in a multidimensional way in a spiritual way beyond this life so when the brain is not properly fed with information unbiased information or when we are with a brain damage or something like that that is going to be much much harder as will if somebody has been brainwashed brainwashed to believe all of these is something that shouldn't be discussed mm. <laughs> or if the person is brainwashed to believe this is dangerous 
that will also interfere. So as an interface, we have to take care and to be able to decipher what this interface is capable of really decoding, allowing to come here to this physical level or to this conscious level of mm. information of us. Because it's just, I ask, because many people I've seen will say that um, things such as general anesthesia taking away all experience and Alzheimer's causing such a distinct change, all of which are physical things. Um, surely that wouldn't be the case if consciousness was interfacing because the core awareness would always be there. I'm, I'm sorry, there I could not follow you for a moment. My my sound interrupted here. Could you no repeat? Please? Sure. So many people that I've seen have said that um, experiences such as or phenomena such as um, Alzheimer's disease and the effects of general anesthesia which takes consciousness away shouldn't mm -hmm. have an effect on our mind or our consciousness if consciousness is this separate entity which is interacting with the brain because that consciousness would always be there and shouldn't be touched by changing the brain what do you think of that i agree with that in a way that is a correct statement but it's a partial statement why is it because anything we experience, even if that is an unconscious experience, suppose, for example, there in tonight, you have an out-of-body experience, but that out-of-body experience for you is something that you don't remember. So for all matters that is practical in life, you it don't know happen. you have had that. Mm. Yeah, it didn't happen. Mm. But inside of you, we start having a feeling that something is true about the out-of-body experience, even though you never had one. Mm. And you start being able to read accounts of out-of-body experience and say, oh, this one makes sense. This one is too crazy. Something here, it's like the guy is faking it. How yeah. do you know if you never had one? Yeah. And also, here, we are a result of what we have experienced in so many lifetimes. If we are now a result of that and talking about this, I bring my own experience, but I bring lots of research about um, past life recollection. If that is a fact, that is not in our brain. We have not experienced situations of past lives with this brain, but the information, the knowledge is with us. So I completely agree that whatever the consciousness experience is with the consciousness independently of the brain, even if the brain cannot get it now because the brain is damaged, the information is there. So, but in reality, here in this life, it is as if it were not there. You were mentioning something there before, and I was going to comment something about um, techniques to leave the body for out-of-body experience. Yes. And that is one of the things that are most puzzling. Because why is it that some people find it so easy to have out-of-body experiences? And by having said that, I'm going to make a parenthesis. Most of them who find it easy, they have spontaneous out-of-body experience. But it's possible to produce at will. But why is it that for some people it's easy and for others it's so hard and they try and try and don't get it? And there are many different factors in relation to experiences because some they use more, for example, our awareness of the non-physical reality. Some they're going to try to trick our brain to not paying attention to details of the physical world. Some they are going to work 
to make our energetic connection, the energy interface between the physical and the non-physical bodies, you know, more loose and more melt down so that it's easier for us to disconnect. Each technique use different approach and no technique is perfect to everybody. So we have to adjust. So I think in terms of that, and I'm saying this because I want to encourage you to go back <laughs> to trying and maybe having some nice adventures by yourself. Yes, so the, the key to that is understanding how the out-of-body experience works. What is the process that is in there? I see lots of people talking about the out-of-body experience and telling their experiences, but I see very few people explaining why and how. And now oh, I saw this outside the body, but why? What is operating there? Why you mm -hmm. saw in this way and the other one saw in that way? Yes. Very few people really want to go into understanding the mechanism of that. But in my opinion, in the way we work here, when we research and we do anything with the organization that I work with, we try to understand why. We think that is fundamental to, you know, the core of developing all of these we are talking about. So that is something I wanted to say here, yeah. because many people, they say, well, if you were born with this gift, you will have out of body experience and some were not. That is not true. We can learn. The yes. point is to identify what's blocking it. Sometimes mm. that can be complex. <laughs> when, I've, when I've tried before, I try listening to um, tutorials on youtube or guided meditation and things like that and where, where i get stuck is they they say so lie down close your eyes go through your breathing and now imagine um your astral arm raising and raise raise your arm and i'm sitting there thinking well if i raise my arm i'm going to raise my arm and then i'm going to be out you know so i can't imagine my arm raising and feel it at the same time it's like it's just an image in my mind that i can see in my arm raising but there's no feeling because they say you know feel your astral body sitting up feel your arm raising i, I can't yes. do that without actually raising my arm or sitting up yes. and i i mm, sorry sorry i was just gonna say and i, I <laughs> can't ahead. i can't really see how you can transfer imagination of imagining sure. yourself as a as a non-physical body into actually becoming that you see, each of us, we have a different characteristic of approaching life and how we, it's almost like an approach of how we use our will. And evidently, by talking to you and so logical, everything you are saying, the way you reason, you are the type of person that you examine things. Mm. So while you are doing that, you are trying to understand, but why would that work? And that, that's a logical question. Why would that work? Why am I going to imagine my arms lifting? And if it's going to lift and I am with my arm here, what am I going to sense? And how can I do that? And the other point, if you can lift your arm up, I mean, your non-physical arm, right? The arm of your non-physical body. If you can lift this one up, you can lift the whole body and then you can have an out-of-body experience. All of these are logical um, reasonings and conclusions from the experience. However, some people, they have a way of approaching the experience, which is not my style either. So I totally understand you. I need different techniques. But some people, you just tell them, okay, concentrate on this. And they don't question. It's the type of approach that the person just, just do. They are not thinking, why? Mm -hmm. 
But you are thinking why, you are thinking how. And while you are sensing it, you are trying to explain what is it that you are sensing? Is it real? And you are examining why it's happening. So it creates a situation in which while something is going to start happening with your energy level or your non-physical body, your physical brain is so active and paying so much attention that you bring your focus and your awareness to the physical world and to the physical body. That makes it very, very, very hard Mm. to be able to produce a disconnection at will. We need to find tools, mechanisms for us, at least for a brief moment of time, to forget our physical body and to relax so much that you cannot sense it. Suppose you, you think like this. I do not know if you ever got to this point there in which you think am i sensing my legs wow it's almost as if i don't have legs have you ever had that that's perfect that is the point of relaxation we need and we go into that so deeply so deeply once you get to that all you have to do is nothing but really nothing you stay awake calm enjoy and do nothing because little by little in the same way as somebody under deep anesthesia or somebody who is in a cardiac arrest and the body is failing, the metabolism goes down so much that it seems our energy starts getting loose and we start to disconnect a little. And then if you maintain yourself neutral and conscious long enough at that point with no expectation, and that is very important. That's why I said doing nothing, no expectation, just there enjoying knowing there is a reality beyond the physical world, but doing nothing really, Mm. then things start happening and you witness. It's better in this way than you trying to create the position of disconnecting because for you, that's not going to work. I, when I was a child, I have had many, many experiences in which my arms and my body would disconnect. It was so easy for me to leave the body. Nowadays, it's not anymore, Mm. unfortunately. Mm. (laughs) But I know what that feels like. And sometimes there, I would sit. I got so used to that that I would sit and relax. And I would just allow it to happen. I was not doing it. I did not know what to do. Mm. But I would allow it to happen. And then, for example, an arm or a leg or my whole body would get non-aligned with the physical body. And once you have, for example, your arm non-aligned, suppose it really disconnects. It's amazing because you can have your eyes open. You look, you see your arm there, the physical one. But for all practical purpose, this is your arm. This is what you sense as Mm. lucidly, as clearly as you would sense your physical body. And you can even to some degree, if the person is at the right tune there, be able to move it. Mm. And that's the essence of the out of body experience. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Seeking Eye Life Exploration podcast. If you did and would like to continue following my research, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel and following the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. You can also join our Facebook discussion group. You can find the link to this and other Seeking Eye online profiles at seeking-eye.com. Thank you.